0: This message, entitled, The Ministry of Jesus in a Nutshell, was delivered to Christ of Rock Bible Church on January twenty eighth, 2024, by the Rev. Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference is Matthew 4, 23-25. Glory to your, your name. Glory to your name. You are the one, dear God, that manifests yourself. And especially as we think about these things in the season of Epiphany, you do manifest yourself, and you do so in in clearly obvious ways, and conspicuous is the word we use all the time to talk about it, and help us, dear God, to see that very, very clearly, even today, and then in the next uh, couple of weeks, the same thing. But then, Lord, then when we're in the season of Lent, I pray, dear God, that you will truly reveal yourself in far more detail as we move into the actual stories that are uh, mentioned. They're only mentioned here, but we're not told the details of them. And so we still need for the whole thing to be obvious. We need it to be clear. We need it to be conspicuous. And, and I thank you for that, dear God. So, Lord, as we're looking at the, the various uh, nuts that are in this shell, dear God, today... I pray, Lord, that you, then you'll open it up in the coming days and weeks, dear God, of the Lenten season, taking us all the way, dear God, to the cross and to the empty tomb. It will be very, very clear what you're speaking and how you're and why you're speaking and what you intend to do with it as we are given these things. And I thank you for it, dear God. It's crucial. These things are so important, dear God, and we are. Desiring to hear that clearly here today. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. There was a taxi driver who was called to uh, drive an elderly woman who happened to be pretty crippled up with arthritis. You know, she had the cane and she was hobbling along and and uh, hadn't fallen, but uh, and thank God for that, but she was on her way to the Amtrak station. And as the taxi driver dodged through the traffic, uh, once she he had her in the taxi and away they went, and he was going at what is known as hair-raising speed, he began talking to the crippled woman, and of course she's like... You know, shaking because it was just too much for her. And he said, You know, lady, we all have handicaps. My wife has an undeveloped arm. My daughter was born with a skin malady that can't be corrected. And I was born with extremely poor eyesight. And even with these very thick lensed glasses, the driver said, as he cut in front of a semi-truck, I can barely see 50 feet in front of me. And not only that, but I don't have any peripheral vision whatsoever. Well, let it be known that this passenger was not comforted by the driver's explanation that all the people have handicaps. Oh, it is true. Everybody has something, you know, might be a physical thing, might be emotional, might be mental, it might be, it could be about anything that we might consider a handicap. Now, some people will not consider just anything as a handicap. You know, you have to stumble around or you have to, you know, um, uh, use a cane or whatever to be considered handicapped. You have to have a placard uh, hanging from your mirror in the car to be able to use the special parking spaces and you have to have a note from your doctor to make that clear that you really do have this uh, uh, issue going on, but the fact of the matter is, it's not what handicaps we have that really counts. It's how we use them. It's how we think about them. It's it's, what, what do we think about them? Jesus, of course, I don't think anybody could point to the idea that he was handicapped in any way. He was the sinless son of God, but he sure spent a whole lot of his time helping those who were handicapped. Now, I'm talking mostly physical. I'm thinking, you know, because he did all kinds of, you know, healing of people's diseases and the problems that they had and so forth. And that is what I want to take a look at here today. You know that uh, in recent weeks we've been focusing, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for a few weeks now actually, uh, during this Epiphany season. And all of that is, as you know, is leading the way to come to Lent. And I've mentioned it numerous times, so, but I've mentioned it in the nursing homes and I mention it anywhere I talk about these things that the word epiphany comes from two Greek words, epi and phanero. You put those together, epiphany, and it refers to a um, manifesting, making obvious something uh, that is now going to be clearly known, okay? Clearly known. Um, Conspicuous is the other 75-cent word that we use to talk about this thing, okay? Epiphanero, epiphany. I've told you before, I don't think the word is used much anymore. But every once in a while you hear somebody, you know, maybe they'll sort of, you know, ah, last night I had an epiphany. Now, I've heard people use that word. It's not something everybody uses every day. But, you know, well, yeah, I I saw something clearly the other day. I had an epiphany okay? It's where the word actually comes from. But in, in religious and or spiritual, I should say, circles, it has to do with seeing Jesus clearly. Okay? Seeing Jesus. And that's why it's called epiphany. Because we're supposed to use the, the time period that we have from Christmas to Lent to deal with some of the things in the life of Jesus. Not all of them. We don't have years to do it. You know, we've got uh, and that, and by the way, that is why I'm dealing with it from the perspective of of a gospel that I'm not sure I've done this before. Uh, I've used John, I've used Luke, uh, I think I've even used Mark to go through and take a look at, you know, the the life or the ministry, the various things that Jesus was about, things he did, uh, healings um, that. Uh, Miracles, you know, you might do a series on miracles and, and just take a look at one, one gospel. And one gospel kind of stands out from all the others, and that's the gospel of John. John is, is on purpose a different gospel you can't look at the four Gospels and say one of them must be wrong or John must be wrong because he's not, not talking about the same stuff that the other Gospels are talking about. No, that's not true. The Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. Everything in it is true, okay? And so what it means is that the Holy Spirit inspired these Gospel writers to put it this way, to put it this way, to put it this way, okay? Purposely doing it different than the others, John's Gospel was written a good bit after the others were, and, and it's a- after some falseness has come, had come into the church, you know, some error, some heresy has come into the church, the Gnosticism and so forth that had developed, and so John's looking at it from a different perspective, and he actually uses, you know, seven miracles. Now, you know Jesus did far more than seven miracles in his ministry. John mentions seven. But it almost sounds like he hasn't done anything else. But if you notice at the end of John's gospel, he says, you know, if everything had been written about everything that Jesus had done, the world itself could not contain the books. There'd be so many books. There'd be so many chapters. There'd be so much written on the whole thing. If if everything that he did and everything that he said was put down on paper like this, And uh, you know, and and even in the other gospels, it's not intended to be exhaustive. It's not intended to have everything. Each gospel writer was given by God, by the Holy Spirit, a specific inspiration. There's a reason for the things that these gospel writers are saying. So you put them all together, and that's a pretty good picture of what Jesus did. Okay, very obvious, very conspicuous. All right, and I think we need to recognize that we need to know the depths of who Jesus was and who Jesus still is. Actually, before we get to the cross, before we get to the resurrection, it's got because that makes it clear. When when we let the Holy Spirit open this up to us, manifest these things to us, uh, and specifically this year. I'm not sure I've done it with Matthew before. So we're going to stay in Matthew. I mean, even after Epiphany, going all the way down to you know Good Friday and, and uh, Easter and so forth, we're going to stay in Matthew. All right? Uh, sometimes I'll go back and forth between the different Gospels and pull things in and so forth. But I, I'm just going to go ahead and take it from Matthew's perspective. And uh, and there's a reason for that. And you'll see it. Okay? Well, there's a pastor I know. He tells, a, he tells the following story on himself. He says, he says, "Growing up, I was the textbook definition of average." I remember my dad one day uh, by the way, this isn't me, <laughs> you know, in the, in the story, but my dad did tell me. He says, "What makes you think you're better than average? You know? Because I would come home from school and oh man I got a C here you know I wanted an A or a B or something and I worked and tried and, but I got a C and my dad my dad said what makes you think you're better than average I mean what's average the majority it's a bunch of people and where they are he was just trying to make a point. He wasn't, he wasn't saying it's okay. Go ahead, go ahead and get some F's. <laughs> go ahead and get some D's, you know, because that's what a lot of other people do, you know. What makes you think you're any better than that? And that's not what he was saying. Well, average, the, this uh, fellow said, is the best of the worst and the worst of the best. And that was me, he said. But in 10th grade, we had a, a new history teacher who did not know who I was. He didn't know my name. He was brand new to the school. And he didn't know that I was really only average. We were assigned to write a half-page paper. I don't know that I've ever had to write a half-page paper. I remember papers in seminary were oftentimes 25, 30, 35 pages typed, okay? And that was a term paper. And you may have two or three of those in a particular term. I don't remember a half page. But anyway, he had a purpose. He had a plan. So he had them write on a patriotic subject. He wasn't going to give them a the subject. He wasn't going to tell them what to write. He just wanted to see where they'd go with it. So he t- sent them all home, and everybody was to write on that uh, half sheet of paper something about a patriotic subject. Well, the next day in class, Mr. West said that he had graded uh, the papers and they were, get this, I'm thinking, what a word of encouragement. He said, they were the worst papers I ever saw. Okay? They were the worst papers I've ever seen. Except for one, he said. Except for one. Yes, there was only one that was outstanding. And then all of a sudden, the guy called my name, Edwin Young. He said, Edwin Young, would you raise your hand? Because you remember now, he's not met the kid. He doesn't know him. He doesn't know his name. He just saw his paper. Edwin Young, would you raise your hand? And from the back row, rather timidly, I raised, I raised my hand. And that is when I turned the corner as a student. I began to use what giftedness I had. I developed a love for history, majored in it in college. I became a fellow. A fellow, by the way, if you're not familiar with that term, is an official person in the class that the teacher trusts to go ahead and help grade the papers or prepare uh, tests or things for people or whatever. It was just somebody who uh, officially worked with the class and worked with the professor to, uh, to move things along. I graded papers for a professor in that department as well. And all because someone rejoiced in me and said, good job. Now, I've always kind of been amazed at this particular story because it's, it, it mirrors, to some extent anyway, my experience of what happened. When I was in college, I took a couple of history courses, and this guy made it come alive. I don't remember the guy's name. I think that's odd. I would have thought I did because I was planning on going the same direction he was going. I was going to go ahead and become a history professor, and I I was I found out I enjoyed it. I liked it, and uh, I know Jim's very interested in, in history and so forth, and I was too, and I was... Uh, planning on pursuing that. That's where I was going to go until God said, no, I want you to do this instead. And uh, I mean, it wasn't 10th grade though, but I, I feel it was early on in my college uh, year, my first year or two of college. And I kind of pictured the same, as I look back on it, I kind of pictured the same thing where I might have been uh, like, his, uh, like a fellow in the class, you know, who would be somebody that would help with the tests and help with the grading and you know kind of those kinds of things. And and I would major, what they call major, in uh, in history, and I intended to do that. And I did take several history courses, uh, American history and world history and uh, and and different things related as well. Well, the Apostle Paul. He also rejoiced over his Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, calling them by name now, by name at the end of his letter. He said, he said rejoice in your obedience and have big plans, big dreams for yourselves. I want want you to be strong in the faith. I want you to be effective in your witness. And by the way, You're doing a great job. That's that's a paraphrase, of course, but that's kind of what Paul was saying. And he did that in numerous of his churches. He just made it clear that there's a certain path to take and every step needs to be clearly and positively taken. A.W. Tozer spoke of the same thing in this particular quote, and uh, and praise God, I don't have it on my. I do have it on my phone, but I also have it typed up, <laughs> and so I'm not going to lose it in my back pocket. Uh, faith is more than believing the right words. This is what Tozer said. Now listen carefully to what he's saying and why he's saying it. Faith is more than believing the right words. Romans 10 verse 17 says, "Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God." He goes on to say, I believe it is impossible to boil my faith down to a series of words. My faith rises above words, and it rests in the very heart of God. My trust is in God, not in my explanation of who God is. If what I believe in can be totally explained, it is not God. Every man lives by faith, the non-believer as well as the saint. The former, the non-believer, by faith in natural laws. But for the believer, for the saint, it's faith in God. See, there's a sense in which there's always going to be, if if you're following God, I think it's always going to be a mystery to you. I don't think you can nail it down that much. Here's the 15 words I believe, and that's it, you know, or 25 or 30 or 100 or whatever it might be. No, I think God's just always going to be, always going to have some kind of mystery to the whole thing. In fact, I think that's what we spend all of eternity doing is coming to know God even better and better and better. I mean, we may know him a lot more than we knew him, say, a few months ago, or a year ago, or a further time ago, but you know, I think there's always going to be a coming to know him. Okay? So there's a mystery. Praise God. So I think Tozer's right. If what I believe in can be totally explained, it is not God, because there's no mystery in that. Anyway, we have already discussed the baptism. Remember that of Jesus? We also talked about the temptation of the devil uh, where he tried to uh, tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And remember, his purpose in doing that was if he just got him to flub it up, if he just got him to, to stumble, trip and fall, then Jesus could not be your savior. Jesus could not save any of us. Because he wouldn't be perfect. He wouldn't be the perfect, sinless son of God. He's got to be that to suffer and die to take away our sin. Otherwise, hey, any of us could go to the cross and take away everybody's sin. But that's not the case. He's able to do that because he is the sinless son of God. And Satan knew that if he got him to flub it up right from the beginning, that his mission was over. His purposes were over. Okay, well, those are the two things that happened before chapter 4, verses 23, 24, and 25. And I call these verses the, um, the ministry of Jesus. I almost called it the gospel of Jesus. But it's not so much that. Well, it is that too, okay? But I think it's a, there's a broader stroke to be painted here. And that is it's the ministry of Jesus, okay? Okay in a nutshell. All right, so what are we talking about? Well, look at verse 23. We're just going to take one verse at a time. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. That's pretty generic. And what I mean by that is, I don't mean that negatively. I mean, there's no names mentioned. There's no locations. Well, not specific locations like this happened in Nazareth or this happened in Capernaum or whatever. None of that kind of thing. But this healing, this well, this teaching, the preaching, and the healing, all three are mentioned in this verse. It was certainly a very big part of the ministry of Jesus. Okay. They've been called the threefold ministry, okay? The threefold ministry. Teaching, now looking at the Greek word that's used here for this teaching, when he says he's teaching in the synagogues, is a knowing through being tutored, through being directed, and through being advised. That's what what it is. That's what the teaching is. It is a setting of the mind rightly and to be influenced in in truly understanding. To understand something. And I want you to break that word apart. Get a little bit better, uh, another picture of it. To, To understand, okay? To stand under the authority of what God says something means. To stand under it. Think about it. That's what understanding is. Okay? Now, preaching from the Greek refers to a heralding, a proclamation, speaking forth like the angels. Hark, the herald angels sing, right? It's not the guy's name, okay? It's not the, herald is not the angel's name, okay? Did you get that, Ben? Right? Herald. He's he's an angel that's heralding the good news. Speaking forth. Proclaiming it. Okay? In other words, it is an announcement with a privilege and an obligation. It is not just a running off at the mouth. It might be perceived as such, but that is only by those who really don't understand won't take the time to stand under something. Just how important, to understand just how important the message is. And don't forget how necessary the third part of this threefold ministry is all about, and that's the healing. Now this is interesting. The Greek word is therapeo. Okay? Now you know as well as I do, we get the word therapy from that physical therapy, occupational therapy, a long list of things you could come up with there. It suggests a waiting upon a ministering to and a giving an attendance to which altogether points to the credentials of the kingdom. Remember what we've said before? a kingdom's got to have a king. Amen? Or it's not really a kingdom. You know, you talk about the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of evil. You're talking about Satan and the things he tries to get accomplished and so forth. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this is where God rules and he reigns. Okay? He is in control. We get the word therapy from this concept. Okay? This attendance, this carrying along with you the credentials of the kingdom of God. We get the word therapy from this. Obviously, we can see a healing in muscles, you know? I mean, I'm going through physical therapy right now. I've been going for the last couple of months and I still have more times to go here. And by the way... The therapist has already said we're probably going to have to put me on hold, <laughs> put me on the shelf for a while as far as therapy goes, because if I get this thing removed off my back, I've got to let that heal up first. But it might only take a couple of weeks, and we might just re- get, be able to get right back to it. It's uh, done all kinds of things for, uh, a str- for strengthening, for um, uh, eliminating pain. I've had quite a bit of pain over the last couple of weeks and not so much in the last few days because I think there's been some uh, some work that's been done, not not right on where this thing is, but below it. It feels like it's heavy. Oh, it's as big as my fist. The thing on my back is as big as my fist. And it feels like it's pulling down on my back. and and it's, And I thought at first it was probably a pulled muscle or something. But I couldn't remember... Pulling it. <laughs> you'd think you'd remember like, you know, ooh, gosh, I knew that was going to happen. You know, but we don't, you know, I don't have any re- recollection of that kind of thing. So I wonder if it's from this, this other thing, okay? Well, that's gone. That pain, I mean, it's gone. Now, the thing is still there. But the, but the pain that might have been from that is no longer around. And that's what the therapy does, you see? It works together. It uh, it emanates from a stretching, an exercising, a massaging. Now, when it comes to my back and uh, spine and the stenosis and the arthritis that they say is all through my back, this is what I've been trying to say for a good couple of years now: uh, that the therapy needs to include some um, massage, needs to, need to work on the on the the bones and the and the muscles and the ligaments and the joints and. Push it this way and push it that way and so forth. And I asked the therapist about that, and that's what he's been doing along with what all else he's doing. But other therapy places I've been, they don't do it. Even when I bring it up, I said, Well, the doctor over in Butler, he wanted, you know, he was hoping that we'd be able to do some therapy. Well, we'll just, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we're gonna do something else and, you know, like we don't care what you think, <laughs> you know. But the physical therapist says, No, that's important. I was talking to Kathy about it one time and she's a retired physical therapist and she says she says you won't find the younger therapists getting into much of the uh massage stuff because they're scared. They're scared they're going to push something the wrong way. They're going to they they just want to stay away from that. So they they have you step up on a step and step down, step up on a step and step down and that's it. And you do that kind of stuff for an hour and a half or whatever and it's like I didn't really feel I was getting anywhere with that, but it, I, they use this tens, you know, this electrical stuff on my back, and man, it, you know, eh, 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 you know, grabs you and and eh, 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 and it's just it's, and I think it's been good, it's been helpful, and then he then he massages the along the backbone and the, and even up to the shoulders and and so forth. Okay, that's what this is. It emanates from a stretching, an exercising, and a massaging all that work together to produce a finely tuned body. And that's what we have, people. Okay, that part I'm kidding about. The rest of it's true. <laughs> all right? It makes very clear, very conspicuous, who Jesus really is. Okay? Who Jesus really is. He's the king in his kingdom. He's the one who rules and he is the one who reigns, and he is the one who gets his way. Alright? Getting muscles to work right, getting bones to work right, getting ligaments to work right, etc. That's why they use the word therapy, therapy, but from therapeutic. Okay. Do, do you see how Jesus in his teaching and his preaching and his healing, now, no detail here. So there's no detail. This is in a nutshell. All right? This is in a nutshell. Fulfilling the purposes of both Epiphany and Lent. It becomes very obvious that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So the next verse. Hold on just a second. 24. And this deals primarily with the why of these things. Okay? And here's the verse. And his fame went out throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. Notice, there's a whole list of stuff that he did, but no detail. Happened here, happened there, happened when this and when that. No, no, It's, it's not, it's not that, that's not yet. This is the ministry in a nutshell, okay? So, the why is seen, I think, pretty clearly in this verse. Take the word torments, for example. You see where that is? The sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, okay? The word torments refers to a touchstone, all right? Something that has been used to test the purity of gold, figuratively speaking, of course, here, to test the purity of gold and thereby used to divulge the truth On a matter. God does use trials. He does use troubles. He does use adversities. To test where we are with him. Not that he he needs to know where we are. He already knows all things. He already knows where we are in these things. If there's a testing that he does. It's so he can get us to see where we are at with him. And not only that. Others to see where we are. With him, But God knows full well. God knows all things. Okay? So when he's testing, and you see that uh, throughout the scriptures, it's not so he can find out. He already knows all about it. Okay? He knows where we are, but he wants us to know too, so that we can know what our next step is. All right. Notice that immediately, uh, right after the word torments... We are told of demonic possession. All right? Now, this is something you won't hear a lot of people talking about. Not, I mean, there are some, but, and some distort it. I I don't want to get into all that. But uh, there's, there's a lot of people who just don't want to talk about this stuff. And therefore, they, I don't believe it. Bible says it. What are you talking about you don't believe it? Knows what it's, the Bible knows what it's talking about. You had better believe that this is a reality even though some of the newer translations of the Bible uh, wimp it all down and they call it epilepsy. Now, can you imagine the slap in the face that that is to anybody who happens to have epilepsy to somehow equate epilepsy with demonic possession? That's a slap in the face. Imagine how that must hurt. I would think that would hurt. That couldn't be further from the truth. Some even try to suggest that this lunacy, the, the fact that you know, lunatic it's talking about, is also associated with epilepsy. Okay? The word lunatic has to do with the moon. Luna. Lunar. Okay? Uh, Moonstruck. Okay? Okay? And some people, well, different times. I've I've heard this over and over again. Anybody that's working in the health club or health club, <laughs> you know, health uh, angle of life, <laughs> uh, you know, knows that uh, if you go, um, you know, visit in a nursing home or uh, even in the hospital, you can find things going kind of wacky on the on the night of a full moon. Listen, if the moon can move the ocean around. I guess it can move our blood around in our bodies. I guess it can move things around in us to make us behave a little differently or try to suggest so, okay? And they call that uh, lunatic or lunacy. It's not neces. it doesn't, it's not talking about being crazy, okay? Let's just believe the Bible. I think we need to see what the Bible says about these things and and quit trying to write our own. And that's what's going on in so much of Christianity, so-called Christianity, is, you know, we change the words. We want to say, call it this, we want to call it that, and so forth. The one that always got me is this epilepsy, you know, that that's somehow the same thing. It, I think it's the NIV that says that, that it calls it epilepsy instead of this demonic possession. I think that's so sad. I really do. It was the the late Dr. Donald Stamps, the editor of the Full Life Study Bible, he put it this way. In the Gospels, the kingdom of God is closely associated with healing, miracles, and the casting out of demons. See? Those are the things that are in this nutshell. Okay? The kingdom includes, he goes on to say, the kingdom includes blessings for the body as well as... For the spirit and the soul. Look at this last verse now. We got, that's 23, 24. Now look at 25. Okay. Uh, proclaims that those uh, blessings can be uh, anywhere uh, his people find themselves. You can really find it about anywhere. Do you, do you see what I'm talking about? Just look at the verse for a minute. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee. Now, picture if you will. There's a lot of names mentioned here. But it's a good idea to get a, get a vision of that from a map. Okay? But you know the map well enough to know where these places are, I think. Okay? There followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, It's an area that's got 10 cities in it, 10 major cities, and spotted all the way through. That's the Decapolis, okay? Um, Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, you know where that is, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan, the other side of the Jordan, okay? Well, I mean, there it is in a nutshell. You got your threefold ministry, you got your teaching, your preaching, your healing. And then in 24, you're told even a little bit more about the diseases and the torments and the uh, possessions by devils, uh, by uh, those that were lunatic, those that had palsy, uh, and he healed them. That's all it says. No names, no insurance cards, nothing, okay? And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. It's, uh, it's kind of like a nutshell approach, you know? It's, it's just a, a few of this and a few of that, but it gives a pretty good idea of what the ministry of Jesus was about, all right? But we have several more chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. You have a bunch of other chapters in the other Gospels as well. The nutshell is not enough. It's a good place to start. And that's where this started. Okay. God knows what he's doing. He started it in a nutshell. Praise God. And then he cracked it open. At least he could find his nutcracker. You know. Anyway. Cracks it open and everything can come out. You can go ahead and enjoy the, the nut. You can go ahead and crack open a whole bunch of nuts if you want to. People came from all around. They all knew what they wanted and hopefully they all knew what they needed. Now, only, if, if only our day and age could get to that point of understanding. And I don't mean just the church. I mean everybody. We need to start taking a look at what life is really all about. And why does God say, here's my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Why does he say this if it's not true? We need to quit making things up like prosperity gospels, self-righteousness, and other lunacies. So, we have it here in a nutshell, but it's not the whole thing, and you can't just have the whole thing. I mean, you can't just have the nutshell. You need to go beyond that and see the details of these things. Where did this happen? How? How did? Wh- what did this mean? I mean, look at look at the story of. Uh, well, just to pick one out, look at the story of Jairus coming to Jesus. Here, his daughter at first was was real sick, but then she he got word that she died. And he's like, you know, in a, he's in a frantic, worrisome thing. And, and Jesus says, let's go over there. Let's go over there. Let's, let's go see your daughter. And, you know, and everybody else is saying, oh, but she's already dead. She's already dead. It's not going to do any good. And let's just go. Let's just go. So he goes. And he, he uh, goes on in, takes a couple of his people with him, takes the mother and father in with him. And he raises her from the dead. Raises her from the dead. That's not in the nutshell. Do you see? The nutshell is just pointing the way to show something that's crucial, the ministry of Jesus. It's the rest of the Gospels that give the details and make it clear, make it obvious, and make it conspicuous. How loving our God is that he would send this Jesus. I've heard people say it. uh, the, The Bible's too hard for me to understand, they'll say. Or I've also heard people say, well, I'd like to read it, but I just don't have the time. Well, you just don't have the time. You don't have the time to not have the time. There are as many reasons for not studying God's word as there are people but there are, there's nothing more critical to the Christian growth than that scripture than the Bible itself and I don't mean and I'll be real clear about this because this is a time to be clear I don't mean just reading it through because you can do that I set my four chapters and I get you know you know no he wants us to dig in amen he wants us studying when we study it It is important to look at the passage in its context with an eye toward the history, with an eye toward even the culture of the time. You start to see more detail in the story when you see what Jesus was dealing with when he did that thing, when he did that healing. There's a purpose in it. He's got a plan. And always remember, we we are not to seek biblical support to validate our own circumstances. You know what I'm talking about? T- turning everything that you read into a proof text, as we say, okay? In order to prove our points. No, that's not what the Bible's for. The Bible, we must seek the truth and apply that truth to our circumstances. And then if that, if our, if our circumstances, our lives, and the things we're up to Don't match up with that, then that's what needs to change, not the Bible. But what they're doing is changing the Bible now. Changing the Bible, you know? That's not demon possession, that's epilepsy. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. And I think hurtful. I can't imagine what somebody with epilepsy thinks when they hear that kind of stuff. And it's not biblical. I mean, They they go ahead and stick it in the Bible nowadays, but but that's not what it says. It's talking about demon possession. It's not the same thing. All right. Well, far too many people place themselves above the Bible when they should be placing themselves under it. Get it? Understand. To stand under the authority of God. Okay? There's an old German pastor... And I'll close with this illustration. An old German pastor, he told his congregation to read the Bible as a shipwrecked person who had lost everything at sea. Look at life that way. Think of yourself as shipwrecked. The scripture does say that, by the way. Shipwrecked. Their their, their faith has been shipwrecked. Okay? He is defeated and desperate. Think about it. That person that is shipwrecked, literally shipwrecked. The ship's gone, floating around in the ocean. He's shipwrecked and desperate. We ought to read the Bible with the idea that we have nothing of our own. The ship's gone and we're floating around. Um, You've seen movies or something where they find little pieces of driftwood. The person that's floating around in the ocean does not look at a piece of driftwood and say, nope, I need a better one than that and let it go by. No. He grabs the board that he can grab. If he sees a better one, maybe he'll grab it, maybe have both of them. (laughs) All right? You ought to read the Bible with the idea that we have nothing of our own, that everything is about Jesus. Jesus. What a shipwrecked person needs most, now think about this, is deliverance. And you can be delivered for a season, for a while, on a piece of driftwood. All right? But we need that deliverance. And that true deliverance from this situation of floating around in the ocean is the scriptures itself, from beginning to end. We should come to the Bible with a desperate hope to hear from God and to be taught by the Holy Spirit. It, it, it is that, it, it's, it's, like the, it's like a scarlet f- thread, okay? It's like a scarlet thread of salvation that runs all the way from Eden to Patmos. Now, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the whole story and going all the way down to the end in John's Gospel with him being on the island of Patmos, a prisoner For the sake of the gospel. And that's when he's given the vision. That's when he's made to see clearly. Praise God. And then, not only that, but now you've got a red thread that goes from one end to the other. Now you can see it everywhere. You can see it through the whole thing and everywhere in between. And that, my friends, is the ministry of Jesus. But that's only in a nutshell. Which is why we take the time to go through the scriptures themselves. Now, I'll be real clear. We do not have the time uh, to go through every story that's in here. I mean, I'll just point out the you know the next thing that happens is the Beatitudes. And there's uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, at least, 13 sections to that. If you took one, one a week, that's 13 weeks. So there's no way we can cover everything. I'll mention it, okay, and you can see it for yourselves as we're looking at the next thing that's going to come along. And I, had, I don't know where God's going to direct us in this. I really don't. That's why we need to be in prayer. And that's why we need to have our focus on how clearly Jesus wants to be seen in this so these things and we got a couple more weeks like i said of epiphany where it's things need to be conspicuous to point the way to the cross but then we get into the season of lent and i think i'm going to stay in matthew and we're going to keep looking at stories we're going to look at the various things that jesus did the things he said the teachings the miracles and so forth and so on to see how he's going to get us all the way to the cross Amen? And, of course, beyond the cross, because then there's also a tomb after that. And praise God, it was empty. Come Easter Sunday, it was empty. Praise God. But you start with the nutshell. You start with the, just you know, crack and see what's in there. Amen? And um, so then we'll go from there. Okay? Does everybody see that? I think it's crucial. All right? Father, I want to thank you, dear God, for this truth that is before us here today. I do believe you're making this crystal clear. And I do pray, dear God, that we would see this in a very crystal clear way. Glory be to God. I wish everybody were here, Lord. I think it's crucial. I think it's important. And I and I think we're going to uh, allow you, we're desiring, dear God, to allow you to lead the way, to show these things step by step, step by step. We're thankful, Lord. We give you glory here today in this time and place. We, we do need, dear God, your uh, presence to be full and real and complete uh, in this time. And I, And I do pray, dear God, that Jesus will be exalted. Hallelujah. Be exalted, dear God. May we truly know what it was for you to go all the way to that cross.
1: Hallelujah.
0: And why? What's the purpose? It's because you love us. That's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So I want to thank you dear God because that's your love. It's your mercy and that's your grace. So I thank you for this nutshell. I thank you what's in the nut. But I know you want to take us further and deeper than that. So we're looking forward to it, dear God. And we pray that you'll have your way in in these times. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Praise God.